If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, please pull out your phone and pull up Luke chapter 2. We've been looking at this chapter over the last several weeks leading up to Christmas. One last look here this morning. And I really just want to latch upon a phrase that's used twice in this passage. And then maybe you might want to limber up your fingers. It depends on how much I want to push you and how much time we have. We might be turning to a handful of passages this morning. But the big idea I have for today is that faith-filled looks to tomorrow shape today. Last week, we looked at Simeon, there in verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem. This is Mary and Joseph have had Jesus, and they have brought him to the temple to present him to the Lord. And in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, looking for the consolation of Israel. Down in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment meaning this, this moment when Mary and Joseph had come in and Simeon had taken the baby Jesus in his arms and began to proclaim those amazing things we looked at last week. At that very moment, Anna came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here was Simeon looking for the consolation of Israel. Here is Anna and all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were looking. They were longing. They were yearning. This idea is captured in some of the songs we sing this time of year, isn't it? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns and lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, O come. We sing, O come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, there's the word again, Hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. They were looking, they were longing, they were yearning for the consolation of Israel when God would come to console and comfort his people. They were looking for and longing for the redemption of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. They were looking for their deliverance. They were 
looking for and longing for and yearning for Messiah. And the reason they were is because God's word had promised it over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament scriptures. God's word had promised that he was going to send the Messiah. He was going to send the deliverer. He was going to send the servant of the Lord. And because God had promised it, they were waiting for it. That's what I mean when I say that faith-filled looks to tomorrow, shaped today. Simeon and Anna were filled with faith. They were looking for, they were longing for, they were yearning for, they were expecting, not sure when it was coming, but, but expecting that God was going to make good on his promise. Because God had said it, they had every reason to expect it. And apparently, that faith-filled look to tomorrow shaped their today. It says of Simeon in verse 25 that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here was a man who knew the Word of God and who believed that God was going to make good on his promises. And in light of what was to come, he was seeking to live a devout and a righteous life. And he was controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Daryl Bach, who's one of the world's authorities on the Gospel of Luke called him an exemplary saint. This is a godly man. And of Anna, it is said of her, in verse 37, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. I don't think we're meant to push that little phrase, she never left the temple, too far. It simply means that you've heard people say, when the lights are on, we were at church. When the lights were on, Anna was at the temple. Surely she'd go home in the evening, make her dinner, have some friends over. Wake up in the morning, have her breakfast and coffee, and make her way down to the temple. There she would pray. She would fast. Whenever I read of her, I jump and Everybody's got probably, if you've got a cross-reference in your Bible, 1 Timothy 5. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul is instructing Timothy and the churches that he was leading and how to care for the widows among them. Paul said, Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and and day, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she's assisted those in distress, if she's devoted herself to every good work. First Timothy 5 describes a godly woman, and here is a godly woman. 
she read God's word. She heard God's word. She believed God's word. She was looking for and expecting that God was going to make good on his promises one day. And in light of it, she served him. So it is for you and me that our faith-filled looks to tomorrow shape our todays. Simeon and Anna were Old Testament saints, if you will. As I said last week, one guy described them as the best that the Old Testament washed up on the shore. This is a godly old man and a godly old woman. And they were looking for, anticipating, expecting, yearning for, and longing for the first coming of Jesus Christ. And indeed, in their day, he came. Mary and Joseph walked into the temple and Simeon grabbed him and said those incredible things about him and said, I can now die in peace. And Anna, when she saw it and heard it, she began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. They were looking for, they were yearning for the first coming of Jesus. And you and I, we certainly look back to the first coming of Jesus. But as they lived in this period of anticipation for his first coming, you and I live in this age of anticipation of his second. And just as they were looking for and longing for God to make good on his promise to send the Messiah, so too you and I look for and long for God to make good on His promise to send again His Son. We believe, the Bible teaches, that that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh for the salvation of His people. If you've been around Redeemer, you've heard me say this a thousand times, but maybe this is your first time. Here's what we believe the Scriptures to teach. That God is Trinity. He's one God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that before all time, the Trinity devised a plan for the creation of all things, the creation of the world, the creation of a people in his image. And in the mysterious will of God, the entrance of sin and all that that would mean, but they also devised a plan of salvation for all who will believe. And that plan was this, that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, would leave heaven's glory, if you will, and become one of us. God would take to himself humanity. We call it the incarnation, the enfleshment of God. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Deity. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you're here to Redeemer, new to Redeemer, Christmas is awesome. Christmas is profound. Christmas ain't about trees and ornaments and lights at its core. When you blow all that stuff away, there's a baby lying in a manger who is God with us. And we look back to when God became a man in the virgin womb of his mother Mary and was born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. And then that baby grew up and he lived a holy life. A life of of wholeness. A life of, of goodness. A life of beauty at every turn. Never once stepping out of fellowship with his heavenly father. Never once sinning. And we look back to when he went to the cross not for anything that he had done, but for what we had done. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for his people's sins. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. On the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sins of his people were laid upon him. When he died upon that cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago. And we looked back to three days later when that tomb was empty, where they buried him, thought they were done with him. The tomb on Sunday morning was found empty because he had been raised from the dead. And we look back to that period of days after his resurrection when he gave to his disciples the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me as the crucified and risen Savior. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we look back upon that commission that he gave to us until he comes. And then he ascended into heaven and he sat down at his father's right hand. The place of power, the place of authority, the place of rule. And we look back to his his spirit gift to his people. Having ascended and sat down at his father's right hand in Acts chapter 2 on that first Pentecost, He gave his Holy Spirit to fill the lives of his people and all who would believe for ages. And now for two millennia, his people have been walking in faith in him, empowered by the Spirit of God which he has given to them, engaging in that great commission. We look back, we look back, we look back. We live today in the power of the Spirit and we are looking forward to the, not the first advent, the first appearing, but to the second appearing of the Son of God when he 
will come again just as surely as he came first. He will come again. And we look forward to this. Let me show you a couple verses. I told you to limber up your fingers. I'll just show you a couple. Turn over to the book of Titus. We're actually going to look at this tomorrow evening a little bit closer. But in Titus chapter 2, want to steal my thunder for tomorrow night. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So just as Simeon and Anna were looking for the consolation of Israel, looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, so too are God's people of this age looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Keep going to the right, almost to the book of Revelation. Go to 2 Peter. You hit Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, and then 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. These verses I'm about to read are some of the, the, I don't know how to describe them, strongest, manly, I don't know, uh, language in the New Testament to me. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. We are looking for, looking for, longing for, yearning for that day. I sat down and just put together a, li a short list of things that I'm looking forward to in light of his coming one day. Maybe you are too. No particular order here. Number one, the release from this body of sin and sickness and decay. I heard you, Herb. And death. Into a body of holiness and health and strength and life. Our Friday morning study just took a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul wrote this. 
For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, earthly tent, in this context he's referring to his body in this age, sinful, decaying, sick, one day to die. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now in contrast to this earthly tent, which is our present body, this building from God, a house made not with hands, eternal in the heavens, is our resurrected body. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Probably the idea of naked there is that in that day and in this, many times people think of death as the disembodiment of the body and the soul. Because of the idea that the soul is good and the body is bad, that ultimately death is the disembodiment of the soul which will live on forever. The Bible and its message is completely different. We are going to be given a new body, a resurrected body, a glorified body. Paul said in Philippians 3, He will transform the body of this humble estate into conformity with the body of His glory. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about how when Christ died and God raised His body from the dead, so too will we die and one day our bodies will be raised from the dead. No longer mortal, but immortal. No longer earthly, but spiritual. No longer weak, but strong. One day, we look forward to that. Another thing I look forward to, and you and I might not feel this one as strong, but I'm going to read you a verse. Number, number two, the vindication of God's suffering saints. You and I don't suffer much because of our commitment to Jesus, but many do. Many have, many do, many will. And one day when Jesus comes, He's going to judge the enemies of His people. And this is something that God's people long for. You say, I don't much. Well, listen to the martyrs of Revelation chapter 6. These are people who were faithful to Jesus and lost their life because of it. Whether you interpret it to be people who have lost their life throughout this period called the church age, or if you believe it to be those who will lose their life in the tribulation period, either way, still stands. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the, so- underneath the, altar, the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? 
That's the cry of the Christian martyrs. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. One day that's coming. No need to turn, but I'll read it to you in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. After all this, for after all it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believed. Another thing I'm looking forward to is to be in the presence of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, in that context, I believe that Paul understood if, I were, if he were to die right then and there, he would go to be with the Lord immediately. His body would go into the grave. And so death brings immediate fellowship with Jesus. Paul said, um, I, I don't know which to choose. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. But there's also the expectation, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that when Jesus Christ comes again, that he will raise our bodies from the dead, glorify them. And then Paul says, and thus we will always be with the Lord. We look for and we long for and we yearn for. We're going to be with him. Those of us who belong to him, we can commune with him even now. Through the reading of his word as he speaks to us, through prayer, through worship, through other of those what we might call the spiritual disciplines. We have this amazing privilege, even in this age, to, to commune with God, to have fellowship with him. But as Paul said, right now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face, we're going to be with the Lord. I look forward to the experience of life. Here's what I mean by that. In that 2 Corinthians 5 passage, Paul is looking forward to, and here's what he said, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. So that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. What does that mean? I don't know, but it sure sounds good. What is mortal this body 
will be swallowed up by life. Immortal. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, when Paul is encouraging you and me who are rich to be generous and to share, he encourages us to do that and he uses an interesting little phrase. Let me read it to you. The end. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Fix your hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Some translation, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. It could be that he's talking about you take hold of that which is life indeed now, but contextually storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may, I think it may be future, take hold of that which is life indeed. What does that mean? Not sure, but it sure sounds good. Swallowed up in life. Life indeed, true life. Listen, y'all, the story of the Bible is that God created everything good. When he created us in his image, it was very good. And then in chapter 3, it all went very bad. It's been very bad now for millennia. Christ has come to accomplish salvation, which he did 2,000 years ago, and he's working it out and will fulfill it one day in a new heavens and a new earth. Read Genesis 1 and 2, and then read, that's the first two chapters of the Bible, and then read Revelation 21 and 22. Those are the last two chapters of the Bible. Notice the similarities, but then notice the differences. We might put it like this. Revelation 21 and 22 is Genesis 1 and 2 on divine steroids. We ain't just going back to the garden. We're going to the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. We will experience life. What will it be like when all things are made right? Not just me and not just us, but everything is made right. Romans 8 tells us the whole cosmos groans because of sin. Not just you and me, we groan. Paul just says that, we groan. But the whole cosmos is groaning. And it's looking forward to its day of redemption. I don't know if you know that, but Jesus Christ came to make this whole thing right. Not just to forgive us of our sins, but to extend His sovereignty to the whole cosmos. Everything's going to be made right. What will things look like? Molly, my little 10-year-old, just asked me yesterday. She said, Daddy, how do we know that people who are colorblind aren't, maybe they really have it right and the rest of us are colorblind? I said, that's a good question, Molly. What will things look like what will things sound like? What will things taste like? 
What will they feel like? What will it be like to breathe in the air of the new heavens and the new earth? We are going to experience a life like no other. I didn't plan on this, so let's see if I can remember it. It could be that joy to the world that we always sing at Christmas is a second coming song. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. He rules the world in truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. The glory of his righteousness. And wonders of his love, and wonders of his love. What's the one I'm looking for? Um, what's the next one, Angie? Help me. You don't know. No more let sin, no more let sin and sorrow reign. No more let sin and sorrow reign. What? What? I can't hear. I need the new heavens and the new earth. Anyway, it goes on to say, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Jesus is coming. That curse was introduced in Genesis 3. He's coming back to make everything new. Far as the curse is found. Reunion with loved ones. In John 11, when Lazarus died and Mary and Martha were weeping, Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Of course, he did. He raised him just then, and poor old Lazarus had to go on and die again, which is pretty unfortunate for him. But Jesus was showing, as he said in that passage, I am the resurrection and the life. I will give new life to my people. Though they die, they will rise again. The world was blessed by that cartoon a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? When President Bush passed away and the cartoon, I don't know if you saw it, of his airplane that he had flown in the war parked on the clouds and there was Barbara Bush and there was their little daughter who at three years old in 1953 had died of leukemia. And there was Barbara and I believe her little name was Robin saying, we were waiting for you. And President Bush being reunited with his loved ones. Now, I believe that to be true of those who believe. I will see my daddy again because my daddy will rise again. 
and Brian will see Plassey again. Because Jesus Christ is going to raise her from the dead. She is right now in spirit in the presence of Jesus. They will lay her body in a grave here in a few days. And one day, her body will be raised, reunited to her soul in perfection, in power, in immortality, in beauty, in you name it, forevermore. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. And that's it is coming. That's that day that we look forward to. Look forward to reward. And I don't know what this looks like. But Paul says things like this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. We believe that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not based upon our works. But having been saved, then we seek to walk in fellowship with Jesus and love him and follow him and be a blessing for the sake of Christ and that there will be some judgment of sorts for that in the age to come. And that would, which I've done for my own glory and my own name and what a... And if anything, for his glory, it'll stand. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Not exactly sure what Paul meant by this, but he said, in the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It can be yours and mine too. So just like Simeon and Anna longed for that first advent, you and I long for and look for the second. And just briefly, as we said, their look to tomorrow shaped their today. Our look to tomorrow for such things like this ought to shape our today. I already read one of you, one, one to you. I'm going to read it again in 2 Peter 3. And then I'm going to read you one more. Listen again and how he ties together the hope that we're looking for with the life we live now. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. Spotless and blameless. And then one more in 1 John chapter 2. Listen to how the Apostle John ties together our hope for tomorrow and how it shapes today. Now little children abide in him. 
so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him at his coming. If you know that Jesus is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet, not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has put his hope And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Maybe one more stealing my glory from tomorrow. Not my glory, my thunder. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Friends, it's time to go. Are you looking? Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. Anna was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem because God had promised it. And what God promised, God makes good on. God has promised a second coming and some sort of destruction of this present world and the establishment of a new one. Are you looking for that? Longing for that? Yearning for that? And maybe, most importantly, living today in light of that? You all know, heard of, maybe Francis Chan. One of the most powerful things I think he ever does is when he gets out his rope. His big old long rope. And when he can, he'll wrap it around an entire room. And he'll look at his audience and say, that represents your existence in eternity. And then he'll hold up what he had been covering, and it's a little piece that he's wrapped red. It's about that long. He says, this is your existence on earth. And he said, how foolish we are to make all kinds of decisions right now so that we can have a really good life right here, right? We're just killing ourselves right here so we can, oh, retire. So many of our decisions that we make right now are based upon here. And he said, and you got this to live for. Do any of the decisions you and I are making right now, are they because we're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the establishment of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Back when I was in Campus Crusade for Christ, we used to talk about having an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective.
Some of you celebrate Advent in your home. Good for you. Advent is not so much about, and it is, the celebration of the first advent of Jesus, but it's also a celebration of the second advent of Jesus. Advent is meant to be, in some measure, an experience of just as the saints of old longed for and yearned for and looked for that first advent, so we too experience that longing and that looking for his second advent. Jesus Christ has come. Merry Christmas. Jesus Christ is coming again. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, for my brothers and sisters here, would you help us to shape our lives today in light of what you've promised about tomorrow? And Lord, for any who may be here today who have not settled the salvation issue, they don't have the assurance that if they were to die today or if Jesus Christ were to come back today, they don't have the assurance that they would be welcomed in to the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells forevermore. Father, would you help them to see that it is not dependent upon them it's not dependent upon them shaping up or getting their act together, doing better, hoping to earn your favor through their good works. Help them to see that you are glorious beyond their greatest imagination. Help them to see that they are sinful and that the good news, the gospel, the good news is that when they could do nothing because of their sin, you did it all. You sent Jesus into the world, Christmas. And you sent him to the cross, Good Friday. And you raised him from the dead, Easter, for them. Help them to see that the forgiveness of sins and salvation is found not in themselves and what they do, but it's found in Christ and what he has done for them. And maybe they will take hold of him by faith right now. Trust in him. Ask him. Take him as their savior. Again, Lord, we pray your grace and mercy upon the close family, upon the foxes. Oh God, be with them this Christmas season. We'll pray in Jesus' name, amen.